Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Uh, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, Charlie Noyce of Paradigm. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so, Charlie, uh, there's a lot of venture capitalists, me included, who, uh, after uh, tw- you know, sort of the rise of 2017, sort of the the fall of, of in early 2018, sort of realized. Oh, I'll just speak to myself that if you were going to be in this, you needed to be in it uh, 100%. And so that's when I sort of uh, sort of backed off in one way um, by basically saying, "Hey, Token Daily is going to be my, my, my crypto arm. They're 100% in, and uh, I'm going to uh, to work uh, in crypto through them." And so my question to you is for people, for VCs who've sort of been in a sort of crypto coma in the last year, year and a half, what would you say are sort of the biggest things that have happened or that have changed in sort of the venture or crypto investing landscape uh, that if they were to en- enter back into w- w- would be different? How has the landscape changed in the last year, year and a half in terms of investing uh, from a venture perspective? Yeah, so in the last year and a half, I think probably the biggest change has been we've, we have actual signs of life um, at the application layer. Um, mostly in decentralized finance has become um, pretty popular as a narrative on on Ethereum specifically. Um, And that is predominantly what's working. But compared to a year and a half ago, um, I don't think it would have been unfair. And actually, it was um, our perspective as well that while there was a lot of interesting stuff um, being worked on, um, we had a total, Ethereum at the time had a total of like 100 users um, in terms of people actually making transactions or using these decentralized applications as opposed to just speculating. Um, and still today, the vast majority of the market um, you know, is focused around speculation. Most of the largest companies in the space, folks like Coinbase or BitMEX, are um, you know, primarily geared to allow for um, speculation on crypto assets like Ether or Bitcoin. Um, but at this point, we do have um, a couple of success stories that seem like they've moved from sort of proof of concept or cold start to um, scaling. Probably the best example on Ethereum right now is Maker, the system, decentralized system for leverage, basically. Yeah. And what have they proven out? Um, <clears throat> well, ironically, it's still sort of focused around, well, I would say maybe the the most fundamental insight from Maker's success on Ethereum is the fact that uh, it feels very circular, or uh, I think a common criticism of it, um, even today, is that it's um, focused on speculation. It's a system for getting leverage on Ether or other crypto assets um, by, and in the process, generating a synthetic dollar stablecoin. Um, there's been a lot. There's there has been a lot of criticism that like this is a very circular thing. It's inherently focused around like it demands um, it demands demand for speculation on ether, leverage speculation. So um, you know, is this not really just a bet on the same thing? Um, and it totally might be. But at this point, I think the there also has been a th- more of a shift in narrative where I think more people are open to the idea of considering that. Um, something like Ether or, or other crypto assets, um, Bitcoin included, obviously, um, are competing to be forms of money and that that might be um, like really what all of this grows out of. So when you look at, um, just to give a couple examples, Maker, Uniswap, Compound, um, leverage, kind of leverage money markets and um, 
decentralized exchange, all the stuff that's working basically flows down from um, the sort of like inherently speculative use case. Um, but it's not clear that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, or as opposed to, I think some of the, I think many people still hold ideals about the kinds of applications that you could imagine working in the long term, um, decentralizing large parts of, you know, a very siloed um, and sort of non um, non democratic internet. Um, and it's still totally possible that those things will happen, but um, but they don't have to. Are you are you saying this gets this can get, be really big even if it's just speculating? I think it will be really big even if it's just speculating. Um, and if that's the path to um, one way of thinking about it would be um, sort of at a certain size on these systems, they're both able to do things that they otherwise would would have been unable to, and there's a sufficient market incentive um, for people to actually step in, come do them. Um, and so like to the extent that the speculative use case keeps working, um, you could imagine, uh, the answer your question. Yes. I think it, I think it can be successful if that's the only thing that works. I also could imagine that that's the first thing that works. And, and then there's sort of like a, you know, sufficient incentive, um, to get over the UX regulatory, et cetera, hurdles, um, to building sort of, um, you know, the broader scope of decentralized applications that have been envisioned. Totally. Talk more about uh, Paradigm's investment thesis focus in you know November of, uh, tw- 2019 in terms of sort of like map out the areas you're you're looking at, excited about going deep on investing in. Yeah, I think we remain really excited about um, the stable of like boring assets out there. Um, I think Bitcoin re- remains exciting and probably will continue to remain exciting. We spend a lot of time looking at decentralized finance and. Yeah, really invest across the space. I would say there's not too many. There's not too much of a sector focus. And decentralized finance are, the, are these companies that make it easier to buy, trade, and sell and uh, store Bitcoin? Or are you, uh, we we do also cases? invest in those kinds of companies. Um, Tagomi and Tagomi for yeah is a great example. Um, but no, I would bucket decentralized finance in more of the mm, sort of like research-driven protocol field. So you're starting to see sort of. Um, more of a focus on designing what people are calling crypto economic systems. Um, so these are things where it's um, much like how Bitcoin or, or Ethereum are designed to um, try to allow an, you know, an anonymous group of people to come together and run something um, safe um, uh, or secure. Um, more people are sort of trying to do this at the application layer. And I think as a result of that, discovering um, that you can build a bunch of interesting protocols that that look financial because by design um, they're not permissioned and they um, almost look more like financial mathematics or game theory problems than they do um, sort of like how you would think about designing like a normal consumer facing application. Um, But out of this, surprisingly, we've gotten a bunch of stuff that people do empirically love, um, like Uniswap, by far the most popular decentralized exchange on on Ethereum. Um, And it was born out of Vitalik, like writing a blog post with making an analogy to like conservation of energy and physics to this automated market maker. Talk, talk more about uh, sort of the exchanges sort of emerging role within crypto. Are they, are they serving as sort of the new banks or how do we, how do we think about increasing role of exchanges? Um, yeah, I think today they're obviously, um, you know, exchanges would like to own the entire stack from retail <laughs> brokerage to, um, you know, actual, um, execution or like the sort of trading engine component, custody, lending, um, sort of the the whole deal. 
if I had to guess, I would bet that exchanges start to get unbundled in the pretty near term. Um, I think that you're starting to see a lot more coalescence in both liquidity, the side of the market providing liquidity. So we've gotten to to the point where there are you know a single digit number of players that are on the other side of um, like almost half of uh, of sort of all you know volume in crypto, um, and then on the on the other side, they're they're sort of unhappy with the fee structure and the. Um, I wouldn't say that exchanges are monopolists, but there is kind of an element here of like wanting to own the entire stack. Um, where in if you look to traditional markets, whether it's like equities, commodities, FX, you know, you have sort of this breakdown of like retail brokerages, a liquidity aggregation layer that's sort of generalized across all of them, and then um, above that you have um, the folks that are actually sort of like. Um, making all of these markets, um, trading in venues where, you know, they're not sort of paying these ridiculous fees to folks like BitMEX. Um, and so if if I had to guess, I would bet that most exchanges that you see today start to look more like um, retail brokerages or um, consumer platforms like Robinhood, where um, the primary value comes from um, either selling order flow um, or cross-selling other services like that, which makes a ton of sense. It's a great business model. Um, and start to give up um, sort of the dreams that I think most of them have had of, of um, you know, being that full-stack institutional and consumer. There's an inherent tension. I, I imagine that'll get broken in. And most of them will probably go in the retail direction. And then, um, you know, perhaps some will will go institutional. Yeah. If many fintech companies are really just competing to be banks, but competing on sort of different go-to-markets or, or wedges and to do that, is there a parallel with sort of DeFi companies competing in terms of different go-to-markets and trying to be exchanges or is, is that, is uh, that? I think as of today, number one, the market is just so much smaller that you haven't really seen like real competition yet. There's not really an incentive to compete. That's arguably changing with sort of the level of success that Maker has found at this point. Um, doing i think at like it's like a hundred million outstanding debt at like seven percent interest rate uh, approximately annualized um anyway there's stuff that's now large enough that i i could see them sort of directly competing in the relatively near-term future but to date they've kind of remained separate the name of the exchange game um has been you know to compete on retail order flow like it would be in any normal market um i imagine they'll continue to do so to the question around a wedge in i do think that most decentralized finance protocols are competing on a certain number of dimensions that that look kind of analogous. Um, it sort of is more financialized than than the normal consumer stack, where it's more about like um, accreting assets and designing markets that allow you to offer um, compelling yield to like pretty sophisticated players. What we haven't really seen yet um, are sort of like true consumer mm, plays where. Um, you're really looking for mm, inefficiency, right? In in the sense of like retail order flow is valuable because yeah. it's uninformed. Um, exchanges in crypto haven't really had to make that decision yet. Um, I think that they have been, it's, it is a really competitive landscape, but I think at the same time, the largest have been pretty privileged in, in a relatively cushioned position of, you know, there's a very high hurdle to, um, regulatory licenses and getting the largest liquidity providers onto your um, venue, and there aren't really people that are sell that are piping retail order flow anywhere yet or selling it. Um, they're really so. 
Anyway, as a combination of all these factors, I don't think you've really seen it to the degree that we probably will in the next few years. Is it fair that um, Paradigm is more of a focus relatively um, to a firm like Andreessen, more of a focus on uh, new forms of money, whereas Andreessen sort of new form, like what does the new internet look like? To um, let's talk about the different sort of competitors. Money. I, I believe you have some different thoughts on, uh, or maybe then the mainstream in terms of Ether's potential to be money, but maybe let's look at some of the um, you know, potential winners there. Yeah, so I wouldn't want to. Uh, you don't want to mention any specific firms. But. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to assume A16Z's investment thesis, for example. But I would say that yeah, in general, we take from what we've heard Chris Dixon talk about sure. publicly. Um, yeah, I think that we, in general, take um, a, have a more focused investment lens on the money use case and those that are pretty directly derivative of it. Is it because it's just bigger, or because it's more likely to happen? Both. Yeah. Are you dubious, dubious or skeptical in the internet use case, or what? What is? Uh, I don't know if I'm a skept. I don't know if I'm a skeptic. I, I'm very excited by it, and you know, I would love nothing more than to see um, like any number of um, applications or or sort of different you know pieces of internet infrastructure. Whether it be um, like I think social networking is a pretty overused example, but um, you know, a decent one on the application side or like DNS there. Right. Um, I mean, it was interesting. Chris Dixon's post, why decentralization matters in 2017 or something. He, he mentioned, Hey, this is not sort of a libertarian against the government, yeah. you know, places, money supply. This is about Facebook or, you know, the big four, whatever. And yeah. So I think that's like empirically untrue today. Yeah. Um, and hasn't played out yet for, for a large number of reasons in the long term, I don't think that Chris is wrong or I hope that he isn't like I share, um, what I imagine are all of his hopes about the potential for this stuff to go after all those use cases. But I think more and more we've discovered um, in the last couple of years, even just you know the last year or so, um, like how difficult it is to build these systems. Um, and it, it feels like there's probably a long way to go before um, you, know, you can really credibly um, imagine competing with someone like Facebook. Yeah. So let's talk about the different uh, you know, potential players for the new form of money so obviously bitcoin you know there was this story that came out recently of you know um it's been sort of circulating around the tether circulation like sort of uh you know bitfinex sort of money manipulation bringing price up it, how can bitcoin lose um and then we talk, maybe talk about why you're excited for ether and any other potential players i think i'm pretty well known for being an ether bull i would say i'm also an ether skeptic i think there's a pretty good chance that uh none of the stuff works in bitcoin's case it's a pretty good form of money it's seems better than gold it seems likely to work and i'm being flippant with this answer but honestly it's i would say like pretty stayed um in a very good way it's not risky it's um would you say likely to work like what odds well you have to i think you have to define the question um <laughs> right. likely to be more valuable in terms of the basket of goods that one bitcoin can buy um in 10 years than today i would say like mm, eminently likely like i would imagine near 100 percent barring um you know, Bitcoin's something out competing Bitcoin in that timeline, which seems fairly unlikely, but I think it's pretty likely to work. I, th I think it's pretty hard to make a case um, at this point that Bitcoin isn't, doesn't seem at least to be like credibly going after that use case. I think what we haven't seen so far and what I am excited for are competitors to grow up. I think that provide either um, a compelling enough alternative that you could imagine it being um, Bitcoin and other stuff rather than just Bitcoin, um, or maybe even just out competing it. I, I think it's way too early to like speculate as to what the long term, like how this will play out in the long term. I would imagine that you know any quote unquote competition with Bitcoin like plays out on a ten to twenty year time scale. Yeah. 
So what's your ether is money? The ability to contract value is very important. If you think about basically all financial assets, or rather like all, all assets in general as being fundamentally derivatives on money, um, which which is actually like um, true. At this point, we don't produce real assets, like um, no form of capital really, um, no form of financial capital produces real assets. Um, basically everything that we've designed, um, like if you own a share of Apple, um, these other things, in a very high-minded sense, um, are derivatives on belief in the U.S. dollar or, you know, like whatever your local numeraires is, ability to store um, and hold value through time. Um, you don't, you own a, uh, an asset that's not literally producing you phones, you own an asset that's producing you U.S. dollars, etc. Now, like, I'm certainly not one of those people that's going to say U.S. dollars are worthless and you should get rid of them. Like, that's empirically untrue today in that we can go to the store right now and buy something. So this isn't an argument that... Um, you know, the current system is broken or like um, that there's some impending failure. But in Ether's case, um, if you imagine like contracting value, creating derivatives on it um, and different ways of playing with it, slicing it up, transferring it, loaning it, whatever, um, there's sort of like a literally infinite number of, of ways that you can imagine doing this um, that I personally think people will be interested in. Um, and and are not really possible um, with the constraints of at least the existing financial system. And I think that the reason I like Ether and, and I'm not as bullish on, you know, for example, the idea that um, we, whether some private entity or the Federal Reserve itself, will like digitize U.S. dollars in some way that, you know, allows us to kind of try and get at the same idea Um it seems like a bridge. It seems like a bridge too far to me. I can't really. I can't really imagining it. I can't really imagine it working to um, the degree that seems like would be possible on top of Ethereum, were it to be wildly successful. Um, and even in the early innings, when you go talk to, um, ironically, most mostly people that are outside of Silicon Valley, um, financial mathematicians, financial engineers, a lot of people that really understand sort of like how. The existing traditional financial legacy, traditional whatever you want to call it, financial system works. You you can show them a couple of projects on top of Ethereum and and other places, not to be too much of a maximalist, um, that seem absolutely insane. Um, like if you can really sit someone down and explain to them how something like MakerDAO works or like what it is at its essence, um, people will usually be completely blown away. Especially those that understand. Um, sort of like how novel this is and how impossible it is to imagine creating, um, you know, in, in the existing system. Um, like I would even go so far as to say that I suspect that large swaths of, um, existing Ethereum will throw out large swaths of sort of accepted knowledge, not about economics, but sort of the, more financial side of it where there there are like sort of any number of products and when i say products i don't literally necessarily mean derivatives in in like a speculative uh, speculative sense but um like more broadly sort of like anything that you can purchase own transfer loan whatever um like i would suspect that we throw out 90 percent of common knowledge about what's possible or rather like what constraints we're operating under if if ethereum is successful i'll close out this way too long answer by saying Dan, one of my partners, Dan Robinson has a fantastic tweet that says at some point in the future, we're all going to wear VR goggles that uh, display our personal CPI, the consumer price index, because 
uh, we Facebook or whoever you know that's ingesting all of our data is going to go perfectly hedge us against our expected future consumption. Um, and you will, your marginal cost for like one gallon of lemonade will be determined by how close you are to your expected monthly value on purchases of gallons of milk. Um, and I actually think that, that will happen. Exciting world. Uh, the um, Fred had this post uh, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago about um, sort of the intersection between blockchain and VR. Um, just before your last comment, have we seen anything there or are you expecting that we would see something there? That's really interesting to you, or do you think that's sort of... I mean, I think we'll see something interesting interesting there to the extent that, like, any transformative technology necessarily overlaps with others, but um, I personally don't see much, like, novel enablement relative to, um, I don't know, perhaps, like, digital assets in VR. Yeah. People feel more affinity for them or something. Maybe right. it's easier to bootstrap, um, something like that. Yeah. A couple of years ago, everyone was obsessed with uh, Joel Minegro's post, the, the Fat Protocol uh, thesis. Where have we sort of netted out in terms of uh, how, how we think about value capture and the protocol versus application there? Well, I don't think that Joel was right, and I also don't think that Joel was wrong. Um, I think it's way too early to... I, I would say it's way too early to apply that as a blanket thesis, and like almost in any example of something that didn't work or the few things that are actually empirically working today... Um, I could I could sort of play either side of it. Um, in the long term, I guess, if you consider the store value or money or whatever you want to call it, use case as a protocol, um, I, I think it's pretty likely that that's mm, larger than all other outcomes cumulatively for the next at least like five years. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, I think that Joel is right. And then longer term, um, I think that there there are hard questions to answer about sort of like how far we can take the protocol um, versus, um, you know, company application, like whatever you want to call it, um, sort of like how far we can take them, how much does being decentralized actually hurt you? Like you're obviously much less nimble. There's, and so yeah, I don't know. I think, I think Joel could be right. I also think he could be, he, he could probably be wrong. I think Arjun had this post, maybe it was a couple years ago too, like, you know, centralize on crypto and then decentralize. Has that... Did you agree with that that post? Has that netted out to be true? Again, I think that there are some instances where it seemed to have worked. There are right. some instances where it seems to not have. It's also too early to tell. Uh, like I, I'll decline to name them, but there are examples of things out there that, like I, I suspect, will blow up at some point um, in, in the financial sense, or or just that like people don't really understand why they don't work yet. There are also ex um, examples of of things where i think it would be pretty easy to point the finger at it as having failed for and this is on the centralized side for you know having like done the protocol and just left or you know not being able to compete with like more nimble centralized um folks so i uh, i also would say that I, I put this in the too early to tell bucket um i do think there's an interesting experiment being run right now the MakerDAO foundation um, believes that Maker is basically at the point that decentralized autonomous organization um, that they call the governance system is able to exist without the sort of real world foundation's guidance. Um, and so they plan to essentially self-destruct the, yeah. the foundation. I, I think that that seems to be going pretty well. And it's a very interesting experiment to run. Um, to the extent that they're able to be successful in that, I, I, think, I think you could see a lot more people following in their footsteps. Yeah, I was uh, I was just talking about Balaji, who believes that uh, sort of ICOs coming back in a different form um, in terms of democratizing 
uh, the asset class will disrupt venture as, as we understand it today. Where would you be on that? Gotcha. <clears throat> um, I suspect they'll disrupt venture insofar as that I suspect that um, this stuff will eventually disrupt most stuff. Um, well, that's kind of a cheap answer. Specifically to the ICO thing. Um, will they come back at some point? Basically, I mean, uh, I suspect they come back by another name. Like honestly, if it if we eventually get to the point where at a minimum what this stuff allows for is like simple transfer of payment from anywhere in the world, like bare minimum, um, it's like not feasibly possible for you to pitch everybody on earth to invest in your startup. Like ignoring the fact that uh, ignoring everything else, like there is a large swath of the world that just literally would not be able to give you money. Yeah. Um, for any number of reasons. Um, and this is especially true as you sort of like go down, you know, the, um, go down in scale, both on the side of um, the folks that are raising and the contributors. So I suspect that it will probably disrupt the ability to like raise capital in, in these kinds of systems will probably disrupt um, a lot of VC today. Like to what extent, who knows? On the ICO point specifically, I bet that it'll look differently. Um, I personally, and I might break with like Biology and Olaf and others here, don't really expect um, there to be like ICO boom round two. Um, if there is, I think that the products are probably going to look a lot different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest questions in, in crypto or mechanism design today? Well, there's kind of been this idea um, and there's kind of been this idea floating around um, that a couple of folks that we really respect have been raising for, for a long time. Um, although without much, I would say like real response, um, that's like basically putting the question front and center, like, will any of this work long-term, um, in the sense of like, is it possible that Bitcoin is actually an impending failure, um, like in, in an ability to continue to exist securely since, um, and I think that, I think it's entirely possible. I, I, I have yet to meet someone who can make a compelling counterargument as to why this is impossible with Bitcoin or any other decentralized system. And so I, I do think that there is there's a good blog post called Rationality is Self-Defeating um, that was recently published um, by some of the folks at IC3 um, that basically gets to the idea like we design these systems with sort of like bounded behavior in mind, but eventually you can kind of imagine someone doing anything this is like rationality isn't real at some point we can't really assume that someone that wants to destroy bitcoin doesn't have half of like the you know real asset productivity power on earth or whatever or can't buy an infinite number of puts and and then just go 51 percent attack it that in maker's case i can't put myself into a position where i'm actually incentivized to just go steal all the money by um taking over the governance system and and charging everybody like essentially stealing their money. And so I think that like the existential question in all of this is like, will any of this decentralized stuff work at all in a very literal sense? Or are sort of like the constraints that come with being in an existing legal system with having like physical recourse against people or at least like the possibility of it? Um, like, are we actually, even after all this time, uh, the best game theorists, computer scientists, you know, whatever, uh, like, it seems at least feasible that none of it might work. I wouldn't say likely, but I think it's a very interesting debate. And to the extent that we can get a satisfying answer, 
I that would sort of be like my biggest Bayesian update that I expect in the next few years is the resolution of that debate. Um, and even though that works, it's thereof. because governments just clamp down because... Well, I would highly recommend that everyone go read the post. It's very approachable yeah. and very interesting, but the, the crux of the argument is kind of like um, so far when we make arguments about, you know, Bitcoin is secure because it has, for example, like X dollars per day security budget in, in the, you know, mining energy expenditure sense that there's some like threshold above which um, like Bitcoin is secure because it's not really possible to put yourself in a position where, um, you know, your incentive with really any size security budget that's not infinite uh, is to go attack it. So it's sort of like if it's going to cost me $10 million a day or 100 or a billion or whatever, like, is it possible for me to put myself in a position where it's actually like positive expected value or like going to be profitable for me to do that. And so ironically, the counter argument to this for a long time was like, well, of course you can't go buy a bunch of like deeply out of the money puts on Bitcoin and then go 51% attack it and make and know that you're going to make a ton of money. Um, and I think there are some even more interesting ones on Ethereum for people that want to go look into that. But um, ironically, the argument of like, well, of course you can't do that. There's no liquid market. As Bitcoin has gotten bigger and the market has gotten more developed, we've gotten closer and closer to the point where, like, it actually, it seems, like, pretty feasible that at this point I could go take that position out. And then at that point, like, what argument is there that I am not going to go 51% attack Bitcoin beyond, like, uh, I would say a, a practicality argument that I find personally unsatisfying about, like, well, you know, could you go convince chip manufacturers to like sell you that like it's an existential question um and it seems to be um it seems to be getting more and more relevant over time like i would say the degree to which people can sort of brush off the existential is any is any of this stuff going to work question um has has just gotten down as the market's gotten more developed so To, to what extent is the ecosystem's rise going to be tied to sort of like global disorder like do you at paradigm hmm. think about or should you think about like USG um the Fed China like in terms of how they're responding or is that is it largely independent um uh, <clears throat> well i personally and i'm not speaking for anyone else at paradigm when i say this am pretty skeptical of any of these narratives um in in the sense that like I haven't really seen enough evidence to believe that gold or the S&P or the Fed or China or, like, pick anybody um, can really do anything to, like, materially influence the price of Bitcoin or that there's, like, any correlation whatsoever between notions of, like, global disorder, um, you know, inflation, like, negative yielding bonds, et cetera, et cetera, like, capital flight out of China, not not to the point where... Um, where it's sort of like, you know, is a, like a meaningful driver of the market in Bitcoin. This could be totally wrong. Like, I, I could be absolutely wrong about this. And in fact, like all of this is actually what's driving uh, the whole market in Bitcoin. I just don't know. I, I suspect it's, uh, I think the Occam's razor answer is no, it's not. However, uh, it's a good enough narrative that people believe it anyway. Um, and then you get like, you know, cascading headlines about like, all right, well, it, it ultimately doesn't actually really matter whether or not uh, like China or Facebook or the Fed have any impact on Bitcoin's price. But to the extent that there's a narrative that it does, um, it, you know, in like a very reflexive sense, totally can start to. And I think you've seen that with like China and, and a couple of other uh, of these of these issues in like the global disorder bucket where it's like the more the people talk about them, it seems like the narrative has, has kind of, right. you know, 
uh, started to run away at this point, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Is there a narrative that it doesn't exist yet or isn't popular right now that you expect in the next six months or a year to really gain steam? I think that the, <clears throat> the speculative use case, decentralized finance stuff, um, uh, I suspect that the narrative will, will dip and people will get really bearish on it in like the six month period where like most likely nothing exciting is going to come out. Uh, and then there'll be a bunch of cascading, um, releases and like uh, all this stuff happening where it'll, it'll start to blow up in like six months. So like in six, my prediction is in six months, decentralized finance will start to really take off to the point where we go from like hundreds of millions of dollars to tens of billions of dollars controlled by this thing. And then at some point within the next three years, it's like fairly likely that there's a credit crisis or something similar that has like a meaningful impact on the real economy. Hmm. Um, which I think will be like wildly fascinating to see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious for your interests um, or your belief about use cases beyond speculation to the extent that they are, um, that they exist or are possible. Yeah. One that you've spent a lot of time on is, is prediction markets. I'm curious, <laughs> what's the bottleneck for why uh, prediction markets happen more? Is it, is it the tech or is it we just haven't made the use cases? Like maybe people just don't want to bet as much as we thought they wanted to. Yeah, it's totally possible. I would personally say I, I hope that prediction markets are early and not wrong. I think it still makes they still make a whole lot of sense to me, and they're still very exciting. And like I would still like to be able to use them in a in a meaningful way in my day to day life, and know enough people that um, have hundreds of um, you know predicted and smarted accounts and whatever on on these academic ones that like it seems to me like there's sort of the the interest. Hopefully, if it's not there today, it will eventually be there once more of the UX, um, UI hurdles, regulatory onboarding, whatever, come down. Um, but that could totally be wrong. Um, it's it's possible. I, it's it's absolutely possible that that its prediction markets are a great example of something that's that are far more a product that are far more intellectually interesting than they are compelling to a consumer. Um, and I think that crypto, in particular, has. Um, a tendency to fall into those traps. If they don't work, I would say they're you know, probably more intellectually interesting than they are compelling. Are, th- are there prediction markets where you can be rewarded for sort of long in, being long in an idea uh, you know, congruent with how early you were into that idea, similar to crypto, basically? Like if I'm, you know, if I'm, you know, the narrative, let's just say DeFi, before DeFi got big, we thought yeah, we so bet on it. Yeah, so it is theoretically possible in, in the sense of like, if, if I could come up with a bet um, that was like, Two years ago, um, that like somehow in a in an actually decidable or yeah. like you know fair and rigorous sense marked like DeFi's rise and like you wanted to buy it, maybe I'm willing to sell it to you at yeah. you know a low enough price to uh, imply like a big return if you're right. I, the thing that's tough about prediction markets, and this is why they're outside of the areas where there's sort of like like politics is a good example of like they're actually pretty good for them. Yeah, uh, they're good for politics because the outcomes are like relatively evenly balanced. There's not this like huge power law. They're really bad for um, things like this, where like um, someone is short you, right? Yeah. Uh, like for every dollar that you make, there is someone that literally lost that dollar. There is no um, sort of like real, whatever you want to call it, economic GDP growth, like whatever, you know, like real wealth creation happening um, in a prediction market. So it's more... Um, yeah, I think the use cases will probably be restricted to those where, like, that's okay and, like, politics are, are kind of a natural fit in a way that, like, prediction markets on seed stage startups wouldn't be. Yeah. I've been curious about idea markets. Basically, can you, like, 
things that don't have any predictive value, like just speculate on ideas and be rewarded if they um, if they sort of take off or if other people want to want to speculate on them. I guess I was like a meme market almost, but I sort of want to like to look up, hey, what do people think about DeFi? And the go to thing, it's like thirty percent debt. Like people aren't excited about it right now. I think there's interesting stuff happening in this space. The there are there are actually a lot of people. The thing that's probably closest to like real consumer adoption. Um, this is an opinion, but uh, are like the NF, NFT or like um, uh, non-fungible assets ba- stuff that's getting worked on. So there's like a, a game that just launched on Ethereum, a Hearthstone competitor, um, where like all the cards are like freely tradable and there's like a, like a whole like uniqueness, like, you know, cap supply, whatever thing with it. Beyond that, um, and, and that's sort of like the most mainstream, the one that seemed to have gotten like, that seems to have the widest appeal so far. There are a bunch of people that have worked on creating um, basically like uh, like non-fungible memes, for example, or like um, if you are like literally the first person that can upload a picture or design a piece of pixel art that's, um, you know, close enough to like the meme or whatever, then like you, you own it and all like near uh, all things adjacent to it um, indelibly. And like that stuff seems pretty interesting to me. I have no idea how it will work and it's not personally what I um, like work on day to day, but there's a bunch of cool stuff happening there. What, what is your request for startups in terms of things, you're, whether it's DeFi or otherwise, a request for projects, request for experimentation, where are you really excited, you know, a lot of builders in here, where, where are you really excited for people to, to start building? Hmm. Um, I think that there's gonna be massive, uh, this, this is obvious, but there's massive UX, UI work um, that needs to get done on I think things that like people never expected there to need to be. So like we we've expected to have to replace MetaMask for a long time. For really I don't know, this is like the most popular um, Ethereum wallet Chrome extension. Um, we've known that we were going to have to replace that for the last two years. We've failed to, but we've known. Um, I think the the class of applications that are working now, it is really hard to explain to consumers um, or try and get them to use most of the stuff that's working in crypto um, in the sense that like taking out like in maker like a like a synthetic credit position is just like like no one really understands that on, on like the consumer side so the I think that there there are some there are some folks that are working on this already but sort of the using these underlying primitives, um, and I'm using the financial ones as you know, my primary example, but I imagine that there will be a lot, uh, it is much broader scope, um, like translating that um, and using them to enable consumer products, um, I personally find really exciting. I think it seems pretty unlikely to me that we're, to go back to Dan Robinson's example, it seems pretty unlikely to me that we are going to ask all consumers to figure out their personal CPI and like, enter or like you know how many lacrosse they're buying and and like what price of a sofa they expect to buy when they're like 19 and like in their own apartment you know dorm room or like there will be a lot of stuff to do here um that that are leveraging these primitives to um enable consumer products as opposed to treating the protocols or the primitives like the sort of like end products themselves it's just um i don't know there's a high very high ui ux hurdle right now um, and so I, yeah, mm. it's tough. Yeah. If, um, if we were doing a postmortem, what's the obvious failure of crypto that no one took seriously or anticipates today? 
I guess I would say that the existing system works to some degree. So I'm, I'm gonna, I, I would capture crypto with like the likelihood that like the money use case and, and everything else that's like, you know, as compelling or like on, you know, the same, in the same like uh, pantheon as that in terms of impact fails. And like probably if, if crypto fails, it's because the, the money thing fails. Um, like empirically money works pretty well. Um, I think there are really good arguments as to like in what ways money isn't working today in the US, in other countries for different reasons. I think more people are becoming aware of these sort of issues. Um, and I think the MMT and, and other um, sort of similar um, theories gaining more traction, I think, is recognition of the fact that for the first time in maybe history, um, like a large swath of the population um, is really thinking about um, and has become more informed on, on like what, what really is money um, or put another way, like is it actually um, <clears throat> collective delusion, whatever you want to call it. Um, so like if, if money is a collective delusion, and I mean this both in like the Bitcoin sense and, and the US dollars that are in your wallet, like... Um, MMT, I could play both sides of that argument, man. Um, and I think there, there's good stuff out there, like Joe Weisenthal and others have written uh, a lot of good stuff about this. But if it fails, probably just because the existing system, like, is able to sustain, has been able to sustain sustain society this, this long, and uh, when we hit a breaking point, like, rather than, um, you know, like everything coming crashing down and the world coming to a halt and you know like famine and, and blah 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 like really we just go or the set of folks understand it well enough to do this just go all right well you know we're like why don't we just pretend that none of that happened hmm. that's like actually like eminently likely that uh the end result and you could even argue like mmt is is really sort of like this yeah. um if at some point we all decided to like, we can do whatever we want, right? In the sense of, like, U.S. dollars can be whatever we all collectively decide them to be within some, like, bounded, you know, mm. thing. So, like, it's not unimaginable that uh, if the the sort of, like, social and, and economic factors that we, that we expect to contribute to Bitcoin success, like, actually end up not being as insurmountable for, um, like, a more traditional system, um, then it's entirely possible that, perhaps Bitcoin's like not as competitive as we thought. Mm. Apology says uh, BTC versus MMT is the next, the next big narrative. Uh, <laughs> if Warren wins. Um, yeah, I think it's possible. I think, well, I would say, I think BTC versus MMT is likely to be a narrative that gains a lot of traction because Bitcoin is like potentially the greatest vehicle for capital flight ever, um, you know, constructed. Um, and NMMT is pretty directly opposed to that. Um, but in a broader sense, I think that Bitcoin people and, and MMT people are actually probably a lot closer on yeah. what they believe to be like fundamentally true about money and economics than they, than they suspect. And then probably break along more, um, break along the line of like how, I call it like the selfishness divide. Um, like in general, people that, uh, are on the Bitcoin side of this believe that most other people are a lot more selfish or arguably just rational um, than 
you know you should give them the benefit of the doubt for and most mmp mmt people would say the the reverse is true hmm. um <clears throat> that's a very interesting question right like i personally have my money in bitcoin because i uh spend most of my time thinking about like game theoretic systems and um you know in the past even like breaking them that's really how i got into crypto um so i'm i'm sort of inherently biased to be short um long rationality yeah um but i don't know it's very possible i maybe the mmt people are right you you could argue in fact it's actually like a far more utopian future so we'll see my guest today has been charlie noise of paradigm uh charlie thank you for coming on the podcast thanks If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.